Hey world, it's nice to meet you. I'm Cassidy Jackson, and you are listening to Cassie's Crafting Conundrum. More Gen Z authors seem to be coming out of the woodwork in the past few years, myself included. And I want us to be able to have a safe space to express ourselves, since the online world is a scary place, and we might feel extremely alone. In each episode, I am highlighting an amazing Gen Z author who has agreed to share part of their story online. Sit back, relax, and please, remember, you are never alone as an author of any age. Welcome or welcome back to Cassie's Crafting Conundrum. This is episode four. And honestly, I am so excited. Okay, I know I say I'm excited about this episode every single time I record an episode, but honestly, it's just so exciting for me to be able to interact with authors from all different backgrounds and all different ages. And actually, fun fact, This is kind of the youngest author I've ever had on the podcast, but also a very strong early supporter of the podcast from basically day one when I told her about it. Would you like to introduce yourself to the group? Yeah, of course. Hi, I'm Cress. I am a 15-year-old novelist and poet, and I am so happy to be here. So you said you wrote poetry, right? Yes. You're actually the first poet that I have had on the podcast. (laughs) Everybody else has just been, you know, I'm a writer. I write fiction. Mm -hmm. There's fun facts about me. I actually have kind of a poetry background. Really? That's really cool. Yeah. I wrote poetry and I actually have something published. Oh my gosh. Congrats. Yeah. Thank you. It. I think from, yeah, it got published in summer of 2022. And if you all are curious about that, that's just going to be in the, I guess, episode description. So yeah, genres do you write? Like genres? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So typically within novels, I do sort of very commercial thrillers I find myself being drawn to that mostly and in simpler terms that's basically just I write heists that feel like Ocean's Eleven, Ocean's Eight, any of the Ocean's movies basically. I have rarely written a book or drafted a book, plotted a book that doesn't have some sort of heist in it. I just yeah no that definitely screams. I would definitely be interested in kind of a heist because for me, my background in heist novels was basically Ali Carter's Gallagher Girl series. Mm-hmm. I loved that series growing up. It was everything to me. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're 15, you're still technically growing up. True, true. Right? I loved that series when I was growing up a few years ago. <laughs> it's so weird for me because, like, I say I want 16 through 26-year-olds and mm-hmm. you were kind of lamenting to me in Twitter DMs about, oh my gosh, I can't wait until <laughs> I'm 16 and I can be on the podcast. And I'm like, okay, I can make one exception because we've been talking yeah, for a very I'm long very time. Glad. I'm very familiar with you, Chris. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I'm, okay, you know what? I'm very glad to be the exception. Yeah. No, as long, it basically has everything to do with like your comfort level and then mine yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. but because we've been talking and we're so familiar with each other I was like yeah you know what I'll have press on the podcast it's fine 
I'm so happy to be here. And I completely understand that. I find that there's a lot of spaces that are completely closed off to younger writers, which is absolutely both a safety and comfort level thing. But when I find places like these that are a little bit more stretchy with who they allow in, I find myself becoming more comfortable because it also means that they're being conscious of me and my needs and I can be conscious of theirs. Yeah, I, I definitely feel like because, and I know I mentioned this in previous episodes, because mm -hmm. I am 20 and I'm turning 21 this year, like I have mm -hmm. to be very conscious about when I talk to people who are in the United States, 18 and younger. Yeah. Just because like I'm technically an adult now and you all are still mm -hmm. minors in the eye of the law. Mm -hmm. And so it's definitely kind of a pick and choose of like the comfort level at this point of the person. Mm -hmm. of the guest basically it's definitely a flimsy thing but i'm really happy letting you on here and i'm so excited to talk to you and share a little bit of thoughts with the world yeah so you and i remember you telling <laughs> me like you basically for as long as you can remember wanted to be a writer right yeah absolutely i mean it was sort of the thing where I would sit on my bedroom floor for hours with like dolls and trinkets and literally just make up a story, but it, it was bad in the sense that I would sit there for eight hours, like without eating, without drinking and without doing anything else, but just developing that story with those dolls, even though I was only like five and should not have been focused on anything that much. I've just always been an inherent sort of storyteller. And now that I've grown a little bit, I find that novels and poems just make it so much easier for me to express the things that I have to say. And I can follow these storylines with all of these different characters. And it feels like I have a real connection with them because I found this passion at such a young age that it feels like they've sort of grown. Yeah, I can definitely see like you kind of growing with your characters in a way. Mm -hmm. What a do lot you find people... easier to oh. write, like right now, currently, your poetry or your thriller fiction? Honestly, thriller fiction, poetry has never come completely natural to me. I really wish it would, but sometimes there's a poem that needs to be told. And basically, if you want to write a poem, it is never going to look how you want it to look. Poetry ends up taking a 180, like either one fourth or one half through the poem, and you can't necessarily go back from there. And that unpredictability makes it kind of difficult for me to get like a hold on it. But when it's the right time, I absolutely will sit down and turn out a poem that says what needs to be said. I definitely 1000% resonate with that mm -hmm. because I am definitely more of a fiction writer than a poet. But uh, when I sat down to write the poem that actually is published and out in the world, I was mm -hmm. just writing from such a place of emotion, mm -hmm. and such a place of like, this is really resonating with me at this current point in time. Yeah. Poetry needs to resonate in a current point in time, but I feel like novels, you have someone to put yourself into rather poetry most of the time you're going to be writing from your own voice at least if you're me but 
it becomes so much more difficult for me to analyze what I want to say when I'm not saying it in the shoes of someone else, if that makes sense. No, I definitely get that because like I've also, I was never really a storyteller. Like you mm -hmm. said, you were kind of telling your own stories when you were five with your yeah. little like dolls and stuffed animals and all of that. When I was five, I was reading picture books. So mm -hmm. I definitely was that pipeline from reader to writer. Like yeah. I remember sitting for hours just reading these picture books and mm -hmm. just being like, this is a cool story. I remember I was like, oh, this is a cool story. Like it's fun, but it was never really more of like, can I write something like that? It was like, this is cool. This is kind of a funny story, but when I was younger, I'd say maybe eight, nine, I, for some reason, did not process the fact that someone actually had to sit down to write the books that I was reading, which is so funny. <laughs> but I just didn't understand that authors existed, that there was someone behind a computer screen who was typing things out, sending them to agents, sending them to editors, mm -hmm. and then getting the books on shelves. But at some point, I was just kind of sitting on my floor and I was like, wait, someone needs to do that stuff. Does that mean I could do that stuff? And that was reversible path and started like expanding on my notebook and pen collection and then just incessantly writing. So, okay, that reminds me of like finding my own passion. I mean, I wasn't eight, but mm. I was 12 and we were living in California at the time and we were going yeah. to an aquarium and I turned to my dad and I said, dad, I want to do that one day. And we were sitting, looking at the shark feeding that was happening. My dad looks at me and he goes, Cassie, if you do that, please don't tell me. <laughs> I love that story, but it really does resonate because I feel like we all eventually have some point where our brain just clicks and we see something that suits us. You yeah. Know? Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, it definitely has evolved. And I know for you, you're, Press, you're just kind of starting on yeah. your high school and potentially college education journey. And I'm kind of at the tail end of it. But yeah. I definitely feel like there was that was kind of the inciting incident of my life where I was exactly. like here is something I want to do pretty much for the rest of my life uh-huh yeah I absolutely feel that just the sort of sense of getting a calling and following through with it yeah I know for a lot of my friends growing up they were like Cassie how do you know like you want to do marine biology like how do you know and I'm like I just knew I wanted to do something with the ocean and now now that I'm 20 and I kind of started college I'm like yeah. marine biology isn't exactly for me but I don't want to say goodbye to the ocean entirely which is why I want to do marine environmental policy honestly that makes so much sense because your journey can evolve and you can evolve with it. And I think that's something so important about both being a creative and also being in STEM because there's always room for you to grow into the place that you want to be in. Exactly. And that might happen to you, Chris. You know, mm -hmm. you might decide one day, like, you want to publish a book or, you yeah. know, 
poetry, but then you also want to do something else, like maybe become an editor or even an yeah, agent. Exactly. It's just, there's always, you're never too close to the sky. There's always room to go. Yeah. And I see myself going as consistently and as far as I can, at least when it comes to writing. And I don't know where that'll take me necessarily, but I do know it's going to take me somewhere. And I've grown comfortable with the fact that I have to be. Yeah. Like, I know for me, I was going, I know this is kind of like a big sister, like little sister conversation Mm -hmm. (laughs) that we're having, but I feel like it's so important for like the authors and writers who are a little bit older to kind of pass on not only like life knowledge but also like knowledge of the industry to younger writers like yeah exactly and so no go ahead (laughs) it can be a really predatory industry when you think about it like just getting thrown in there's none of that I mean, sorry, you can talk about your salary talk. There's none of that. You just are so typically closed off from other writers. And it's so discouraged to talk about deals and agents and the ways that you're getting snicked on certain things. So turning up for each other and supporting each other through things, because it's such a subjective industry to deal with, both from a monetary face and also just on an interpersonal level, like you're constantly getting rejections if you decide right. to publish. And you're also constantly dealing with the thoughts of imposter syndrome. There oh, are yeah. so many different things that come from writing and especially, so turning up for each other is one of the most important things that we can do as especially younger creatives. I You definitely bring up an excellent point. And I don't think a lot of the older authors and writers know that you know authors who are maybe 13 14 15 16 and up know what this industry is Mm -hmm. and we know it's going to take work and we know it's going to take drive and effort like that's not what we have a problem with you know because every industry does have their own issues and their own problems yeah how people deal with it that matters absolutely and when you have a strong support system in the form of other people who understand the work that you're having to put in and the output that you're getting from certain agents or editors it can definitely help and I do know strong support systems are kind of the backbone of Mm -hmm. every creative person that you see it's the backbone of every scientist and basically anybody who's ever worked in any industry there's always going to be like a support system and the fact that some support systems are strong and some are not again it's very subjective in any industry what kind of support system you have Mm -hmm. yeah I mean for me limited and I keep saying grow up as if I'm not still in the process of doing that. When I say that, I mean it was in like two years ago, sort of. Yeah. But when I was kind of growing into the person I am currently, I um did not have a very strong support system, at least when it came to create. Um, and it's been weird since then because I've had to learn like what it's like to be open with my creativity and my writing with other people and since then it's become so much easier for me to kind of write on my own because I know I'm not in this alone like across the world there are 
the same thing as me. They might even be like across the room when I'm ordering coffee from Starbucks. Like everyone is doing something creative. And for me, finding that support system to be able to properly express myself as I do my creative activities on the side there and I know I have people to talk to about writing Mm -hmm. there is definitely a need for a strong support system Mm -hmm. and a strong I have to emphasize like a strong healthy support system. yeah absolutely it can't be too codependent and it also can't be too I don't know flaky I guess no that I get what you're saying yeah it needs to show up and it needs to give you the same response that you give to it. Right. There is a lot of give and take, Mm -hmm. but especially because you're a younger author who basically has been writing for her entire life. Yeah. And then there's me who's like, I was a reader first. I didn't pick Mm -hmm. up a laptop or a pen and start writing. Mm-hmm. I was inspired actually to write by a book we read I read in my eighth grade honors English class mm-hmm. where it was um Wish You Well I think by David Baladacci I don't know oh. how to pronounce his last name I'll, I'll have Sorry. to write that one down yes and essentially I was so inspired by the story my first novel was literally a fan fiction of that book I feel that yeah do you remember the first novel that you ever wrote Mm. okay so for me it's unique because the first novel that I ever wrote is still the same one that I'm working on today because again I mean it when I say I've grown up with these characters I've just always been so attached to the story that I'm trying to tell with my main project that Ever since the idea struck me, I haven't necessarily put it down. I've taken breaks, absolutely, but I've never been able to fully distance myself from it the way that I've been expecting myself to eventually get tired of it or something. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot cringier when I first started out, but now I see it becoming something very poetic and thematic, and it deals with so many different things like Catholic guilt and a lot of different political issues, but also focusing on the inherent sort of um, morality, the gray morality of our humanity, and especially what it means to be exposed to so many different problems so young. And I just, it's sort of the project of my soul in a way. I feel like I will never be able to fully separate myself from it, even if it does one day hit the shelves. It's just always going to be this living, writhing thing in my chest. I always feel its presence because I've carried it with me for so long. And that might sound a little bit wild to say, but it just means so much to me that I have this project that has sort of joined me. And in a way, that's been my strongest support system through all of this. Yeah, you definitely have to have a strong self support system, Mm -hmm. which is something that I have had to learn throughout kind of my own journey, not only with writing, but also like just my journey in life and mental health in the publishing industry and also just in life in general is such a hard subjective subject to talk about because everybody is different. Exactly. It can be so difficult to tackle 
getting really impersonal rejections when your work just isn't suited for someone. And it's just very difficult to process that because you feel like it's your work's fault, but it isn't. It's not always going to be your work's fault. And you also have to understand that there's just so many different factors and that even if you do have your own imposter syndrome, you're always going to be able to kind of put yourself back out there and keep working on it. Like there's no deadline on this stuff, even though agenting and publishing makes it feel like there might be. It's just a very strong core that you have to keep returning to and reminding yourself it's your story, even yeah. if it's just yourself. And I feel for me in my novels that I'm kind of working on right now my why dystopia is half of my soul Mm -hmm. and my YA rom-com that I'm working on right now is the other half of my soul like both of those stories just speak to me in a way that none of my other novel ideas have yeah and so I definitely resonate with like the feeling of like this is like your soul that you're putting into these projects and maybe that's why I never finished finished a draft up until mm-hmm. you know my why dystopia because yeah. it was just it wasn't the right time for me to tell the stories that I wanted to tell if that makes sense yeah absolutely that's a very important take I think because for me writing my same project and I'm finally in a stage where I think I'm getting exceedingly close to actually typing the end and getting to mean it sort of but it comes in waves I think when you're working on projects that means so much to you because you have to understand that it's never going to be completely perfect but it's going to be as perfect as you can get it to be for yourself and it's just a constant sort of push and pull you're taking and giving things to and with this project and it's sort of an exchange when you think about it because when you're writing you give so much of yourself to your work and your work has to not necessarily always give something back to you it can be a very draining thing but at the end it's so fulfilling that it was all worth it I think that is also a very important take because Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people not in the industry or maybe even just people who read, they're not thinking about, like you said earlier in the episode, like you weren't thinking about like, there's actually a human being sitting down to write this story. Exactly. We're just enjoying it Mm -hmm. and being like, this is amazing. But that revelation you have, anybody has really, whether they're reading a textbook or, you know, a poem, or any type of creative writing, and even maybe creative artwork, in a sense, Mm -hmm. that somebody had to create this. Yeah. And that revelation is so wild when it happens. It's an important conversation to have, because I feel like we can forget just how much of ourselves we put into different aspects of our lives. Like, Every time someone goes and works on their passion, whether it be like marine biology like you once had, which you still have kept in a way, or just writing in general, or maybe filmmaking or something along those lines, there's someone on the other side just constantly working and ending up on the final product that you're seeing. 
and it can be really easy to just ignore all of the work that goes into it. I think of it like this. When you go to sit down at a restaurant, there's like so many different people working the kitchen, except when you're writing or doing every single chef, you are every single waitress, you are every single hostess, you're every single manager, you're doing it all on your own. Right. I mean, I feel like that is such an important thing to emphasize. Like mm -hmm. writing, drafting is when you're writing like a first draft and you don't have an editor, you don't have an agent, mm -hmm. it's just, you're just kind of m manifesting a dream in a way. Anybody yeah. who is manifesting a dream before it happens works alone. Like you said, exactly. you're every cook, you're every waitress, you're every, you know, cleaning staff potentially in mm -hmm. the restaurant to go with yeah. your kind of analogy and metaphor. It's mm -hmm. just, it's such a solo project that what we mentioned earlier in the episode of like a strong self-confidence that a lot yeah. of writers, you know, have issues with. Absolutely. Those imposter syndrome type traits come a lot from the fact that we are doing such isolating work. And we don't always have someone there to tell us that we're on the right track and that we're doing what needs to be done and that someone needs to hear our stories. And of course, when we get those rejections, if you're pursuing a career in writing, it can be really world shattering because you've been so focused on your own planet of your work that it becomes easy for you to forget that there's other people's input, including professional input. And I think that that's why it's so important that you find people who really value your work and really take it seriously and are honestly themselves sort of dedicated to it because they see how hard you work and they find themselves getting attached to the media that you're making. Yeah, it definitely is in a way you have to find the people, whether it's, you know, critique partners or alpha or beta readers. Mm hmm an editor, an agent, maybe even a publishing house farther down yeah. that road that is as passionate about your work Absolutely. as you. For me, there is nothing that brings me more joy than someone sitting down to read my stuff and leaving a thoughtful and analytical comment. Not every comment has to be extremely thoughtful and analytical, but the moment someone even says just a sentence that resonates with what I was trying to do, I feel like that was it. That was why I sat down to write this. Mm -hmm. And it just means so much to me when I see other people who are processing my work in that way. And if you don't have someone who is doing that for you, it can be difficult to remind yourself of why you're doing it. Oh, yeah. Most definitely. I do remember I was 13 kind of writing that fan fiction of Wish You Well. Mm -hmm. And I remember sending it to my, whom I consider to be my best friend. We've mm -hmm. been so much together. And yet we haven't seen each other for years and years and years. Yeah. I moved out of California. And now I live in the Midwest. But oh, me too. <laughs> as close as ever. They were my first critique partner, my first supporter. Like I still am sending them first drafts of yeah. my novel. And to have that support like so young for me, I know maybe for you, it's a little bit different mm -hmm. because you put yourself into this industry 
as you were younger. Like I don't yeah. think I had an Instagram until I was 16. And that was just like <laughs> Instagram. Yeah. Just for me having that one person be there and be like, yes, I don't have time to read your work, but what I like in full, but when mm -hmm. I did read your work, like this is really good. Like, I love it. That one person has kept me going. And sometimes all you need is just that one person. Yeah. For me, I absolutely have a person similar to that. And she opens a document that I sent her. I just know that I'm about to get the most heartwarming flood of positivity and the biggest reminder that this is why I sit down at the laptop, not because I'm attached to these characters, which I am, but because I firmly believe that these characters can ignite something within my audience. And oh. I want to shed that sort of impact on my audience. It definitely has to do more with at least on my end, and I know, Cress, on yours as well, I have a story to tell that my audience would like to have in their mm -hmm. hands. That's the whole yeah. reason why I keep writing, mm -hmm. not just because of that one, my hype person, basically, since I've been young, since I was 13, yeah. and it's been seven years, but because yeah. I know that each story that I send them, they're like, I resonate with this idea in one and I resonate with this idea in the other and I'm like because of that idea resonating with that one person I'm like I can write meaningful stories exactly stories are just so important to the way that we function like as humans I feel like we're all connected by stories if you find someone you're probably going to have some sort of story to tell them that will make them laugh or feel something we all have these experiences, and I think putting them down on paper and giving them to other people is just one of the most important and intrinsic ways that we can communicate as people. It's stories, whether they're written or spoken or maybe even drawn. Yeah. They all have some kind of story within mm -hmm. that story. And I'm not just talking about subplots. I'm talking about, you know the person behind the piece of work exactly like we put ourselves into our stories and we get that payback when we see parts of ourselves reflecting with other people because we put in this certain degree of work to make sure that people can feel seen understood or they can be having their thoughts provoked it's just a sense of trying to evoke something in our audience and making sure that they feel what we feel when we sit down the right mm -hmm. and sometimes I when I first started writing my YA dystopia I was like I know I want young adult I know I want this type of like audience mm -hmm. but as I kept writing it I kept discovering more and more niche ideas that I'm like, okay, this type of person would like, and this type of person would really like this idea. Exactly. I feel like in every book, there's something that's going to stick out to someone, unless the book is just absolutely not for someone. Like, yeah. it doesn't matter if it's a two-star read, read, there's always going to be at least one line, most likely, that makes the reader think about something or make an association. And I feel like that level of connection is just very important because when we're exchanging art and media, it just, it feels like a really big connection. 
offer and even just that one line kind of hitching a combination between writer and author it can be very groundbreaking I think the way that we as authors can be invisible on the page yet completely exist within the minds and hearts of the reader while they're diving into our book it definitely does have some kind of serotonin boost in the way that athletes you know enjoy the sport that they're doing in a way writing is essentially a sport yeah yeah absolutely and it's one of the most isolating sports that there can be yet there's always going to be people in the bleachers who are cheering for you and seeing the work that you're putting in they're going to see all of the weightlifting that you do with all of your words and all of the plotting that you do as you kind of throw things around and figure out what works and what doesn't I definitely feel like I have a lot of silent supporters out there yeah. and I make it a point to, you know, thank every single person who has listened to every single episode mm-hmm. of this podcast, because these are long episodes. Yeah. As you know, you've basically listened to all of them. They're long. Mm-hmm. They are, but I feel like when you can have thought-provoking conversations like we're having right now and you've had on previous episodes, it makes it all the more easier to sit down and process the sort of things that we're saying right now. And Mm -hmm. those silent supporters clearly have something that makes them want to hear what we're saying. It, Yeah, I definitely feel that in a way the silent supporters are the most important supporters of all. Yeah. Absolutely. The silent supporters are the ones who sort of keep us going in a way because we don't always need loud supporters. Not every supporter is going to be loud and they don't have to be for us to be reminded of why what we're doing matters, you know? Yeah, no, exactly. Like with my example, with my friend, they Mm -hmm. literally open up the document, they read a little bit, then they forget about it. And then I send them another document. And the fact that they remembered like I believe I was 17 when I first had the overarching idea of my dystopia novel and I sent Mm -hmm. it to them and then I sent them the finished first draft that I had at 20 and they were like oh I remember that I remember that premise and to Mm -hmm. me that was all the validation I needed of those three years of struggling to finish the draft exactly that you can forge with your readers and your creative Mm -hmm. friends they just feel so insurmountable and important to you Mm -hmm. and like there's absolutely nothing else in the world that matters at that point because everything you've been doing has paid off in a way right how long did it take you to finish wait no you said you have not finished this novel right I finished drafts like several times But as far as getting like a completely done, polished draft that's ready to be sent off to agents, I'm not there yet. Okay, so you have had multiple drafts. Yeah, several iterations. See, that leaves me in awe because to me, you are so young and to have that Mm -hmm. passion and that drive, like I recognize a lot of myself in you because when I was 12, I was like, what science classes can I take? What Mm -hmm. math do I need? You know, do I need like what I was literally looking at colleges as a 13 year old. Me too. 
what do I need to get into these schools for specifically marine biology? And I think yeah. you and I are very similar in that regard because that's basically you and writing. Me and marine yeah. biology is what you and writing are right now. I agree. I've had a similar path to what you just explained. And it hasn't been easy at all, but I feel like honestly the COVID-19 pandemic, which is still going on in a way, yeah. is just one of the reasons why I was able to sit down and work on my book for so long. I finished my first draft when I was 12, like recently turned 12. Mm -hmm. And that was in February, pre-pandemic sort of. It was there in some places, but not in the US yet. Yeah. So when we started quarantining in March, I sat down and I actually gen genuinely started to work on my book. And I was like, okay, this isn't as good as I thought it was, but it has so much potential to be better. And I threw myself into my work. I wrote 100,000 words in one month during April. It was absolutely obsessive that I put myself into my work. And I wouldn't have had it any other way because even though it was really unhealthy and a form of escapism during a difficult time, it made me recognize so many things about myself and my writing that I don't think I would be the same writer if I hadn't had that experience of being quarantined and having so much work to handle on my own. I get that because for me, it was just, yes, I had school, but then I had this underlying passion of marine biology. But because there wasn't a global pandemic going on, I couldn't throw myself into that passion. Yeah, exactly. When we're given time to ourselves, it's just sort of crazy that we can see so many patterns within what we do and kind of just finding what matters to us. Because if quarantine hadn't happened, I pre-pandemic, I was absolutely certain that the book I'd just written was practice, and it was never going to be anything else but practice. And I remember standing there when I finished the book and cheering myself on and telling my parents, and I just went back to my room and I sat down. And I was like, I'm not ready to give this up yet. And then a month later, life gave me an opportunity not to give it up because I was about to switch to a fantasy project. Mm -hmm. And then I sat down and I was like, I have all of this time on my hands. I can do both. And then I only stuck with that one original project. Which you are still currently working on. Yeah. yeah. Has it evolved into something bigger than what you thought it would be since you were so young when you started the project and now you've grown up a little bit more? Oh, absolutely. It's so much bigger than myself. And I don't say that in like, and I can't write this way. I say that in an this is perfect for me to write because I need to see something that is just so mass tackle and put onto the page. And when I first started writing, there really weren't any themes attached. It was just a silly little heist book with a romance subplot and a lot of different found family elements. Mm -hmm. And now I can sit down and look at my book and go, this is a book about connection. recently began to explore the weight of what those themes can mean within my work and it just feels again so much bigger than myself and 
I love that it's grown into this thing that isn't just the size of my palm anymore, but instead it's sort of this massive oak tree to try and cut the branches down up and organize in a way where it's digestible for someone to look at. Yeah, no, exactly. It as writers, we have passion projects or we have mm-hmm. works in progress. And I know people are like, oh my gosh, they as they've listened to kind of this podcast and maybe explored writing a little bit more, they're like, authors just flit around from project to project. Like they don't know exactly what they're doing. And I have to Mm -hmm. say that is very true, but also very false at the same time. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Because we mostly get guided by our creative instincts, but at the end, I feel like we'll always have certain concepts or themes or projects that we'll end up returning to because that's what our work is interested in yeah our work is interested in what we are interested in studying exactly for me I definitely want to have like a marine science aspect in most of my stories Mm -hmm. and what I'm realizing is I have like an environmental slash science undertone in my why yeah. dystopia and also in my why rom-com because oh, interesting that passion even though it has evolved and yours might mm-hmm. evolve as well it's always intrinsically been about the ocean yeah. and you know helping make sure that the planet is protected mm-hmm. and th- never read a book with those elements but now that you mentioned it I think that there's a very important need for books that involve marine sciences and I am very excited to get my hands on your stuff one day I definitely for draft two of what of my dystopia I definitely now want to have just the environment intrinsically ingrained in my novels yeah because I feel like the story that I can tell Mm -hmm. somebody who decided marine biology marine science isn't exactly for them but like this is just me personally it's not for me but in a way I just can't leave it behind to like very much like you and your story that you finished your first draft at 12 years old like I can't imagine anything other than you know the ocean and the environment and science in my life even though I have writing now I absolutely feel that there's always going to be these certain subjects that we carry within us and for me I've mentioned it this podcast so far but um essentially just the concept of Christianity and what Christianity can do to us if we're not too careful. And the same goes for several organized religions, but I'm focused specifically on Christianity because that was what I grew up with. They are also doing so many immoral things all at once and just seeing how they can respond to that. That's definitely something I'm interested in because they're just such a diverse cast who is coming from all of these different experiences. Mm-hmm their core the same heist because that's what eventually knits all of my books together some sort of heist yeah and for me I am now excited to if you want to send me a copy of 
your book, you can, I might actually send a copy of my disaster draft, which is what I'm calling my wanted <laughs> dystopia first draft to you, just because yeah. I'm very interested in learning a little bit more about yeah. kind of what my story is. Like that is what it was in 2022. But like yeah. you said, your not your heist novel has evolved into something bigger mm-hmm. than you thought. And that's what my why dystopia is it's so much bigger than I thought and there is a very important message of you know adults you know Mm -hmm. know a lot of stuff but in the end it's your intuition and your own thoughts that are just going to help you decide what you want to do and luckily for me I have very supportive parents who instead of being like no, Cassie, you're going to change your mind. You're you're not going to be like a marine biologist. No, they were like, okay. Like they were giving me books on marine. They were giving me books on sharks. They were giving me books on like very influential people in the marine science world, like Jacques Gusteau, who is still one of my idols to this day for all the work that <laughs> he's done. Like having supportive parents is, pretty much the backbone of every creative person exactly if they're not a creative person like every backbone yeah of people for me I sat down well not necessarily sat down I just mentioned it offhandedly one day I was like I want to be a writer and my parents were basically like what do we have to do to make this happen and then suddenly I was getting text messages from my mom with writing contests and Tumblr writing prompts and just anything about writing that reminded her of me and then just making sure that I could get to any contests that I wanted to do that I always had access to the entry fees that um when it came down to it that they could get me to a creative arts boarding school so that I could study creative writing on a level that's suitable to me because I wasn't coming from a place where those resources were available at all Mm -hmm. and I feel like that sets people apart because my parents were so passionate about my passion for marine Mm -hmm. science like now looking back like they were they were pushing me like Cassie you know, take the honor science classes, you know, Cassie, like, here's some extra math tutoring, like, Mm -hmm. I resented so much for the extra, like, (laughs) math tutoring, because I don't enjoy math, Yeah, but I also enjoy math at the same time, and looking back, everything that they did was to prepare me for, like, an experience slash career, in marine Mm. science and now I'm so grateful for that supportive parents definitely aren't the only way to get to the path that you want to get to but they definitely are an important part and if you have them it just makes it so much easier to take care of yourself and remind yourself of again why you're doing this and I will forever be grateful that my parents were as on board with me being a writer because I easily could have had a set of parents who were like writing Mm, there's no money in that you're going to be a starving artist what's your plan b what's your plan c right and that easily could have been the case but my parents weren't like this they were immediately off the bat like what can we do to make your dreams a reality what can we do to support you and that just means the world to me honestly and for those of you who don't have supportive parents and feel the need to hide the fact that you are a writer 
that is completely valid and completely okay. Yeah, absolutely. It's not a necessity that you need to check all. Yeah, it's not a box that Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, you need to have like a supportive writing friend group. You need to have a supportive like non-writing friend group. You need to have supportive parents. Like that's not a checklist that any author needs to have. It's just, it helps along the journey. Biggest thing that you need is a strong core that you can always bring yourself back to in a magnetic way when you feel yourself getting led astray. Like, although a lot of external friend groups and external family members can definitely help you get a hand on and why you're in this creative process, the most important part is that you're always going to have a part of yourself that lingers that you can go to when you need it. Exactly. It's always going to be about what you as an author need from this novel that you're writing or what you want to put into this novel or this poem that you're writing and it's always or maybe even like filmmaking is another aspect of storytelling that we haven't touched yet yeah absolutely it's essentially the same thing you have to have like you have a story to tell with much like with Oppenheimer and Barbie like those films are getting still getting talked about even you know after the release date because the story is so strong I haven't watched them but -hmm. from the reviews and from people talking about it online they love it and for me being a creative I'm like they love it because they resonate with the story so much yeah for me um which I did see both of them I can absolutely understand why they're still talked about and that's because they bring people together we so far have not had as many movie viewing experiences that can bring people together because we all have a different takeaway from the story to go the barbie in particular covered in pink and experiencing a film that covers a bunch of mainstream topics i think it's a very um thing that unites us as people because we're all indulging in a certain form of media and it brings us closer together. And I feel like all types of media, books, movies, the power to do things for us like that. Yeah, that is the goal for me mm-hmm. in my writing to be able to, whether it's poetry or, you know, my fiction writing. Mm-hmm. I want, like, to be able to have somebody resonate. Because that's the goal any creative wants. Yeah, exactly whether, you know, they want to be, I made this. Mm -hmm. And it's not only the self, the validating thing is not like, oh my gosh, like I did this. Yes, that's a big part of it. But the more validating part for creatives of any kind is I did this and people love it, which makes me proud. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's what I think people don't get is that, yes, it's nice to write something, but personally for me, I don't get the validation that I need by, you know, giving somebody my fiction writing or my poetry, unless they're like, I resonate with this. This is great. I love it. Exactly. And it doesn't even need to be that they appreciate it and that they find something in it. And while that won't always be the case, and while your writing won't always be for the person that you're sending it to, there's always going to be that one person who 
does have a very enthusiastic response to your work. Yeah. I definitely have one alpha reader for my YA rom-com who is just this story definitely could because the two main characters are one is a Chinese American with Chinese parents and the other is a French Korean you know character who comes to the U.S. for school but has to deal with the fact that he's not doing what his parents want him to do. And it's not the stereotypical like, oh, Asian stereotype of you have to be a Mm -hmm. doctor or a lawyer or something that pays a lot of money. No, 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 no. And so that kind of push and pull of like, your parents want you to do one thing but you strongly want to do something else. I wanted to take that and kind of flip it around where it's like the parents want the son to do something that might not pay a lot of money, but they enjoy it. And the son wants to do something that matters in the world. And he doesn't think what his parents do matters as much as, you know, science does. Yeah. And I feel like, motifs and themes like that can really stick to the right reader and that's why it's so important that we continue writing because there's a chance that someone's going to see what you're writing and understand exactly what type of experiences you're writing about and reflecting in your words yeah it definitely there will like you said earlier in the podcast there definitely will be haters and there definitely will be people who do not enjoy your mm-hmm. book and will give it two stars because yeah. maybe it's just not their type of book and personally for me when I give you know a book a two-star rating it's not on Goodreads it's not because the book wasn't good it was because like for me it was good but I didn't resonate with it as much as I yeah. thought it would have yeah exactly there's some parts of books that are always going to resonate with you and then some parts that are just going to fall flat when they were meant to resonate with you. And that just really depends on the person who's consuming them yeah. because it's just very dependent on the type of mindset that you're in, the headspace that you've been in, and just the point of view that you're coming from, really. Right. Like, I write from the point of view of an Asian American, mm-hmm. and I know that is a very niche very specific type of viewpoint that Mm -hmm. not a lot of people resonate with unless they are Asian American or have gone through the experiences that my characters are going through like I try to make it a universal thing like in both Mm -hmm. my dystopia and my rom-com they're dealing a lot with mental health Mm -hmm. and how adults can either help or hinder mental health depending on what the adult is doing yeah I think that the fact that you're telling those stories in a way is the most universal thing because we all have underrepresented parts of ourselves that not everyone is going to understand, but they're going to see and they're going to empathize with. And that's another important part of writing, being able to empathize with a character whose experiences you don't always relate to. And just, especially if you're reading, being able to see something in a character that isn't necessarily in yourself, but you can bring yourself to understand. Right. And 
especially if you know you're you didn't experience that yourself maybe you have a friend that experienced the exact same thing whether it's positive negative neutral and you can go I can see my friend in that character and then maybe understand your friend a little bit better it definitely helps humanize real life people yeah I always try and write sort of things in my characters that are often overlooked or seen as um sort of niche or maybe even taboo I have a lot of characters who are dealing with compulsive disorders which seems like extremely niche to write about but it's something that I ended up struggling with for a long time when I was younger so giving my characters similar experiences to me and kind of showing people that they're not alone in these struggles and that there are actually if they don't have these struggles that there are people out there who do and to always show up for people because you never know what they're actually experiencing on the other side of things that you can't see exactly there are so many unseen things mm -hmm. that authors make seen and that is what is so important about you know any type of creative media they make a very important point yeah you bring up a very very important thing there the fact that so many things that we experience as humans because not everyone is going to experience the same thing in one set lifetime but a lot of our issues are kind of kept underneath this invisibility sort of hood mm-hmm. and we have these experiences that we don't feel like we can talk about with other people because they might seem too extreme or they might seem too difficult to bring up because they provoke a lot of insecurity when you do talk about them but writing I feel like and storytelling in general is one of the easiest ways that we can make people find themselves and that's why I appreciate finding writing at such a young age too because it allowed me when I was working through my compulsive disorders to create other characters who had similar sets of issues and I could see them overcoming but I could also see them struggling and find it in myself to understand that what they were going through was absolutely valid like what I was going through yeah it definitely I definitely appreciate now what I went through Mm -hmm. in high school and in middle school because I can take that and be like okay I experienced this what if I put this character through the exact same thing and kind of see it through a different lens and a different perspective Yeah. And I think giving other people several different perspectives and lenses to look through is what eventually is going to help you become a relatable writer. Mm -hmm. And when I believe Cress says like relatable writers, relatable to like the universal Mm -hmm. you, the universal human experience. Because like we keep saying, every human is different. Mm -hmm. Every living creature is so inherently different because everybody has different upbringings like my younger sister and I we are so different even though we were raised in the same household you are your own person and people should not I guess hinder that if that makes sense yeah that makes perfect sense I think what you're saying is absolutely true and that even though we can come from similar backgrounds with similar um personality 
upbringings and similar um, sort of shared experiences, what we take away from them will absolutely be so different every time. And again, I think that that's also another part of what makes writing so important, sharing these experiences and letting people know what our takeaways are so that they can further define. Yeah, and not really define things, but mm -hmm. just help people understand, like what I said a few maybe seconds or minutes ago, is like making the unseen seen. Like, yeah. I know we're just getting started on mental health and how like it's so important to share. But mm -hmm. when I was younger, uh, mental health was just not something that was talked about. It was mm -hmm. not as talked about as it was like a decade ago when yeah. I was 10 and got diagnosed with ADHD. Like people don't know, didn't know a lot about ADHD. And my parents, well, the doctors were like, well, we want to medicate her. And my parents were like, no, we don't want yeah. that. And so I grew up with diagnosed ADHD, but unmedicated. Mm -hmm. So that's a story that I can potentially tell one day in a future world. I, I had a similar experience to that, actually, not ADHD, but just anxiety in general. And my parents were very peeved about the thought of putting me onto medication. But very recently, we changed that around. And it's been doing numbers for me. And I feel like telling that story they're supposed to be when they can actually be the best version of themselves thanks to the tools that they need around them I think that that's definitely a story I can see myself telling similar to how you want to tell a story about your related experience every experience is different and that is what I love about all sorts of creative media is that yeah the person can tell a story, but then like in filmmaking, you have actors who are making the story come alive in different ways. Sure, mm -hmm. the director and the assistant director and the crew, they're just as important as the actors. Every yeah. single respect. That is actually, I've never actually experienced that, but I did do theater tech in high school yeah. and I'm doing it in college. And theater is so vastly different from writing because it's such a camaraderie it's kind of a family in a way exactly because writing is just kind of isolating and cold and you feel like most writers feel like oh like I have imposter syndrome nobody's experiencing imposter syndrome and even if you're not a mm -hmm. writer or any sort of creative like imposter syndrome is something people go through all the it's time. very prevalent yeah and which is why I feel like in media, I love how books are coming out where they have like a main character with anxiety or a main character with ADHD mm -hmm. or, you know, a main character with OCD or potentially other, you know, mental and emotional struggles, mm -hmm. maybe even physical struggles, yeah. like celiacs or something like that, because there are so many people who go through unseen things Absolutely. and they feel like maybe they can't tell this story, but then they read something and they're like, I can see the exact same experiences happening to me, whether it's yeah. reading a fantasy book or a fantasy film or, you know, a rom-com novel or movie or poem or something like that. Mm -hmm. It is so important to me that I talk about struggles in my writing that are often overlooked or not even acknowledged at all because there's so 
members who will be able to become aware from your writing. I had this situation where I was writing a character with trichotillomania, which is one of the compulsive disorders that I was vaguely touching on earlier. Mm-hmm. But trichotillomania is a disorder where you essentially pull out your own hair and it's very debilitating. Mm-hmm. Writing a character who was going through that. And a lot of people were reading about this character and being able to relate to her. And I felt so seen because I had four different readers come up to me because this was posted on a public platform at the time. I had four different readers send me messages how they didn't know that other people were going through this. They didn't even know it was a disorder. And they felt so seen because they had never seen anyone else talk about this before. And yeah. That genuinely changed the trajectory of my life because I realized my writing has impact on people and I can keep replicating the feeling that I'm giving these people who need it. Yeah, it makes me so happy to hear that people resonate with what you are writing, but it Mm -hmm. also brings me such serotonin when I see on Twitter oh, I have an agent or, oh, I fin- even like, oh, I finished my first draft. Like the support that I got when I announced that yeah. on Twitter was just, oh my gosh, congratulations. Like, we're so proud of you. That's amazing. Yeah. But then I also posted about it on my private personal Instagram and people were like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like, this is great. Yeah. And when I was actually writing the novel in summer of 2022 I had people like privately DM me privately DM I didn't just DM me on my Mm -hmm. personal account and just be like hey would you mind if I read this blah 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 and I was like I want them to read it but also I don't know if I'm going to finish this draft Mm -hmm. but then as I got closer and closer to finishing the draft I started talking less and less about my writing on my personal Mm kind of Instagram page and more and more on like my public Twitter and my public Instagram because I was like these people kind of know about me and my own personal life yeah I don't exactly want them to experience the writing that is kind of Mm -hmm. half soul at this point yeah intimate thing when you're giving it to someone who understands you like nobody else does because they're going to see the parts of yourself that unintentionally wiggled their way without your permission into your writing and it's a very intense thing Hmm? it's always without the author's permission just like exactly like I when I was drafting my dystopia I didn't realize how much like the struggle of being told something yeah but never actually getting an answer to it and then having to discover the answer for yourself but also never discovering the answer exactly that is the journey that my main character goes through and that is Mm -hmm. something that I feel everybody universally goes through at least once in their yeah that's a very universal experience and I find that you're you writing more easier to unite ourselves through writing that's like yours right and the more that the writing is you and the more that maybe the film or the poem is you Mm -hmm. I feel like the more people are going to get out of it if that makes sense 
Yeah. Because Things in a way, to take away. Yeah. The takeaways from the consumers of the media are almost as important as important as the media itself. Mm-hmm. Undoubtedly. It's the community that kind of makes it so important because even after if it has a strong fandom presence then they're going to come to new conclusions about your writing and they're going to forge connections over it and I think that that's one of the most beautiful things is forging connections over shared experiences and writing can bring us closer to that level Mm -hmm. and I know you've seen on Twitter like what is the one thing that you would have somebody do and it's people going like resonate with my book maybe create like a comic-con like Mm -hmm. based on the book or not even like a comic-con but like a comic-con like costume or something yeah and what would you want okay this is a difficult one because up until recently I would have just in general said a strong fandom presence but the more that I've been leading into wanting to get into screenwriting lately I really would like to produce a tv show relating to my book that right now feels like the end game and a few years ago I would have been like what no they are going to butcher that adaptation I'm not giving my baby to anyone but Mm -hmm. I feel like it's something that I'm considering lately just kind of daydreaming about working with actors to portray my characters and kind of maybe even writing and working on the script myself is just something that I've been fantasizing about a lot lately maybe being a possibility if I do end up making it big Yeah, I definitely feel like that is in the forefront of my mind. Mm -hmm. I do actually decide I want to have a film because I don't know if I'd want a TV show. I'd want a film specifically because I have a friend who is an extraordinarily amazing screenwriter and director Mm -hmm. just in her own right. And she is probably the only director I would trust to tell my stories Mm -hmm. because not just because she is an amazing director and because she knows her way around a film set it is because we have talked about a lot of things and we resonate and we kind of have the same mission and message to tell like she wants to tell her own stories through film writing first through screenwriting and through film I want to tell my own story through writing where essentially absolutely you know she's the only person I would trust to even make a film Mm -hmm. I feel like it's very important to have that one specific person who you can entrust your work with especially when it comes to making it into something even bigger than it already is which in and of itself is a challenge because Anytime that you're adapting a pre-existing piece of media, you are working to make it different, yet still the same, that it evokes the same feeling that it had when you first experienced it. Right. And that is why book-to-screen adaptations are so controversial in Mm -hmm. the reading world, in the publishing world, Mm -hmm. because... There are so many ways that it can go right, but it is also there are also so many things that can go wrong. Mm-hmm, absolutely. There's so and many we, different degrees. Right, exactly. And speaking of degrees, like the one that comes to the forefront of my mind is the Percy Jackson show. Oh, absolutely. 
the author, I know I've said this, and if you follow me on Twitter, like I rave about Percy Jackson and Rick Riordan like all the time. Because mm-hmm. growing up, that was one of my comfort series that I could always go back to and I could be like, I relate to these characters so much, just in mannerisms and in all of that. Yeah. But it was also told in a way that could be understood by, you know, 12-year-olds. And now every time I reread the series, I'm rediscovering something new that was meant for maybe an older audience. Yeah. And that's another important thing. It's like the reread factor of a book. Because in my opinion, the reread factor of any book can in a way be infinite unless it's maybe in mystery where it becomes more difficult for you to throw yourself back into the world and have the same experience. But mm-hmm. otherwise, I feel like you're always uncovering more and more details about a book the more that you put yourself into it. There are some books that I've read five plus times and it still feels like the first time reading them. Right. And things like that is what needs to be seen and resonating with you. I definitely want my Y dystopia. <laughs> are going to think like hey this is in your best interest but they're not going to know you and I I said this earlier in the episode they're not going to know you as a person as well as you are going to know yourself exactly exactly and a lot of Gen Z is what I'm realizing like is kind of forefronting that they're like unabashed we are unabashedly ourselves like in any context and I know it's harder for you know the older Gen Z and maybe the millennials you know even Mm -hmm. you know our parents and grandparents to be Mm -hmm. themselves whereas we're just like we're gonna be ourselves you know I decided to start a podcast like I know my older cousins never dream of starting something like this and I'm like I have an idea I'm gonna implement this welcome to Gen Z yeah I feel like we as a cluster of people are genuinely just so interested in making our voices heard because of previous experiences we've had as a generation like Mm -hmm. Apart from Gen Alpha, we were the people who were experiencing COVID at a young age, and we had a uniting experience like that at such a young age that it really gave us a lot of connection tissue to work with. Right. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're so insistent on being heard, because we know that we have shared experiences from learning about them. And shared experiences however you know fair they are we kind of want to emphasize that 
you know, you are your own person. And if you feel like you can't be your own person, honestly, I felt for the longest time that I could not be my own person. Mm -hmm. But even despite like all of the bullying that I had, and despite all of like the things that were probably said about me, like I've talked with my therapist about this. Mm -hmm. I've intrinsically been myself. And in itself, like, if you are bullied, like, to the degree that I was, Mm -hmm. and I was still able to be myself, I think that was, I was just like, I'm not going to change myself out of spite. I think individuality is definitely something that we should be chasing as people. And I think that that's another reason why we're drawn to art, because people can talk about being scared of been done before and people can talk about fear of plagiarism by accident all that they want but the truth is that art is one of the only ways that we can express our own individuality and whether it be fashion writing film etc you are just always going to be chasing that part of yourself that feels different from what's already on the shelves right and no matter how similar you think an idea is there's always going to be something different. Yeah. You're telling it completely differently than Linda from down the street would be telling it if you were set out there with the same plot points and had the same capacity for writing. It would still be completely different. Right. Especially because, like you said, individuality is so mm-hmm. in any industry, in any creative industry. Yeah. Because our brains are so inherently different from each other absolutely it just makes a lot of sense to be able to be like yeah I'm not going to share a lot of my story but Mm -hmm. I feel like I can share the bare bones in this podcast and then I think you've noticed I've kind of set music over stuff that I feel like Mm -hmm. oh somebody's gonna say oh that's really good I'm gonna steal it I'm like no 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 no." nope All you're getting is music that is not copyrighted and can be used publicly. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I, there are some details that I would not share about my story willingly, but there's also details that I absolutely would share because they have been done before. And I'm not afraid to say that my book is absolutely comparable to Ocean's Eleven movies and things like that, because Nobody has a copyright on a good heist that involves a crew coming together for shared interest. It's just the exterior of that interior. Right. It's the interior that matters more than the exterior, in a way. Exactly. Nobody is sitting down to read a heist book because they want to read a heist book. They're sitting down to read a heist book because of the people who are executing the heist. Right. You know, like with Gallinger Girls and the way that Allie Carter can kind of weave her story in a way that I was immediately hooked from like page one, paragraph mm-hmm. one. Like I want to hundred percent. And to me, I find myself in like as an author wanting to be like Rick Rowan, who is very diverse and does his homework extremely well but then I also want to be you know like John Green and talk about you know Mm -hmm. mental health issues in a very very subtle but 
like in your face way a hundred percent and so what kind of authors are kind of your inspirational authors see this is difficult for me because I will admit I've been in a bit of a reading slump lately so I don't really have anything all too recent but if I would have to say something I would probably say Maureen Johnson who wrote Truly Devious um a mystery series that's kind of in the vein of being a detective at a fancy prestigious boarding school and finding yourself in a situation that isn't necessarily ideal but forces you to discover different parts about yourself I find myself constantly returning to that series and just discovering new little factors all of the time and there's a lot of different subject matters that are discussed in it, like the main character Stevie has, I believe, an anxiety disorder, and there's just a lot of different characters who have all of these different experiences, but are all coming towards this mystery that they're trying to solve with a similar degree of not necessarily enthusiasm to make sure that they can keep the people around them safe. I definitely feel like the inspirations that we all have whether they be you know fashion designers or scientists Mm -hmm. or engineers they kind of shape who we become in the field that we're going into yeah I know for me like Jacques Cousteau is definitely going to be an inspiration for me just Mm -hmm. who he was as a person and as a marine biologist when I go into environmental policy because he was just so forward about you know we need to save the planet we need to save the planet now and he was right absolutely there's all of these different types of people that are constantly rubbing off on my writing whether they be public figures or celebrities or family members or friends see different parts of all of these different people that I'm being exposed to through conversation and going that is a trait that I would like to include in my writing because I feel like it's something that someone else could connect to Mm -hmm. I know writers and creatives always joke like hey be careful or you're gonna end up you know in my work and And you're actually gonna end up in my work like I'm sorry I can't control it (laughs) right like I remember being like as I was writing my like French Korean male main character. I'm like, Mm -hmm. I could see a lot of my male friends in him. And I was like, guys, I'm sorry. It's kind of like a, oops, (laughs) that happened. Can't go back now. No, because in a way his main struggle is very much like one of my male friends struggles, you know, with, Mm -hmm his parents and mental health and I'm like I'm basically writing that character for him in a way absolutely it just makes me kind of emotional thinking about it because having a character like if I knew that somebody was writing a character like specifically for me I'd be like kind of weirded out, but also inspired at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. Because it's just weird to think about like, oh, you're in a book. Mm -hmm. Like just an aspect 
of you is in a book or in a film or in, you know, a piece of artwork. Because it doesn't always have to be like a character. It can be like a color you use in, you know, your clothing line or a style that you have in your clothing line or like the type of paint that you use down to like the type of paintbrushes that you use. Like, yeah, everything can remind you of somebody that you've met maybe even just once. I completely agree with that. Like there are just these tiny little associations we have. And especially with poetry, I feel like poetry is in an extreme study of detail right down to the gum on the bottom of your shoe. Like you are noticing everything when you're a poet. And since becoming a poet, which is a fairly recent development within the past year, Mm-hmm. I think that it's become a situation where um, I have gotten better at prose because I've gotten better at poetry and I've been able to kind of study my prose from the view of a poet and go, what would my characters be noticing in this situation? What would I be noticing if I were in this situation? And fully just fleshing out the setting in my head and then projecting that onto the page for people to read. Yeah, I definitely. I started writing poetry, I think, at, like, 15. Mm -hmm. And then looking back to what I wrote at 13 to 15 up until I was, like, writing my first poem, the prose is so different. Yeah. But it's also me at the same time. Like, I can see my 13-year-old self, my 14-year-old self, my 15-year-old self in those pages and be like, I can sort of tell and feel the emotions that I had absolutely at that time yeah I agree and then the fact that you know I'm learning so much from you Mm -hmm. and I feel like a lot of people who are younger writers can resonate with what you're saying because a lot of maybe older Gen Z kind of forget that Gen Z kind of is a teenager you know Mm -hmm. and because that's why I want such like a diverse age range on this podcast because every person has something important to say and if I can give them a platform to do that I'm going to give them a platform to do that yeah and that like generally means a lot to me because about like two maybe three years ago I felt so extremely isolated in my writing, and if I had seen a podcast that had such a diverse range of writers, all the way from 15 to, I don't know quite what your max age is, but (laughs) just such a wide range of writers who are coming from all these different experiences and sharing their opinions and thoughts. Yeah, and this is writing like a writing podcast in Mm -hmm. its core but even with like just filming or not filming recording (laughs) season two like it's become something so much more because I remember you DMing me on Twitter and going like I see myself in these guests and in what you're talking about and honestly (laughs) season two would not have been possible literally without you you were being like one of the loudest (laughs) silent supporters of this podcast has meant everything to me. And I know somebody else on Twitter who I DM consistently just about life and everything. Mm -hmm. 
she as a reader, but her telling me that she resonates like with the podcast. Like yeah. that made me so happy because I was worried I wasn't balancing, you know, life as a human being and then like writing. Mm-hmm. But to have her tell me like, hey, I'm really enjoying this. Like, I love it. Yeah. Like any passion project, when somebody tells you that, it's like, yes, mm-hmm. I did it. I feel like the work that you're doing is absolutely necessary and that all of your episodes, like writing, has something for someone that is going to be guests and you are saying and just kind of take it with them and carry it with them in the back pocket of their mind. Yeah, it definitely is something that I would like to continue doing mm-hmm. just because like the whole point of this episode is like, finding something you're passionate about whether it's yeah. you know you cross with writing or me with marine biology and then like evolving into that but also being you know passionate about writing and yeah. being able to do something with that like I definitely want to do both mm-hmm. because they're both so important to me as a person yeah undoubtedly it's a tightrope that you have to walk very carefully if you want to carry such an intense art form with you, but also another thing on the side that you also have that's very important to you. Yeah. And that is, I think, what is so important to differentiate between like hobbies and passion projects. Yeah. Because I remember thinking like, after, oh, writing is a hobby. It's not, you know, anything that I want to do. Like, it's fine. Even though I knew I wanted to publish my wife. Yeah. Time, I was like, oh, it's just a hobby. Like, it's fine. Kind of like you at 12 years old after finishing. Yeah. Your, you're like, okay, I'll work on it. It's fine. It's practice, mm-hmm. whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then immediately going and having a major turnaround of like, oh, yeah. yeah, hold on. Wait one second. This is more than I thought it would be. Especially during that time, corner myself into wanting to be a doctor because writing isn't necessarily the easiest thing to do ever. And now I kind of completely know that I'm a little bit screwed on that front because, well, you know, writing, difficult field, as we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. It's just, um, I can't see myself doing anything but writing. Is that probably going to be the harsh reality that I'll have to one day? Probably, most likely, 90% chance. But on that 10% chance, which is what I continue working towards every single day, mm-hmm. I think that I'll be able to do what I want to do. And that's what keeps me going. Honestly, I feel like you are going to be such an inspiration for the older writers who are listening to this podcast and just being like, you know, Gen Z is decidedly more optimistic than we thought because I feel like we have a kind of reputation yeah. in media of being like cynical and sarcastic and being, you know, oh noses tucked in our phones, social media addict. Right. But then, like, that's why I also feel like this podcast is so important because Gen Z has a lot to say (laughs) yeah we're very vocal and honestly 
we're not afraid to show it, whether it's on TikTok or Twitter or in a podcast. Like, I don't care if this becomes popular. I might not even monetize this just because it is such a passion project of mine. And yeah. I could not imagine doing this podcast, just talking about myself and my writing journey. Mm-hmm. If I have a platform to showcase other Gen Z writers, I will. Yeah. And I appreciate you endlessly for it because you're doing a fantastic job. I see a lot of myself and all of the guests that you bring on in one way or another and being on here and getting to talk and maybe give someone else an opportunity to see part of themselves in me just means a lot. Yeah, no, of course. It honestly means everything to me. I know this has been like, oh my gosh, it's so isolating, blah, blah, blah. Okay. But in a way, like we kept, well, like we said earlier, like the silent supporters. Yeah. So important. So uh, in any industry. And I know I have a lot of silent supporters out there. And Chris, you probably do as well. Mm-hmm. Honestly, if you want to keep being silent supporters, please do so. Because without you, we would not exist as creatives. As yeah you know, the type of creators that we are, like every follower that I gain on any social media, like any new interaction that I have with somebody, whether Mm -hmm. it's podcast or, you know, somewhere else, it all impacts me as a writer, as a creative and as a person. Mm -hmm. Support vocal or not is the backbone of us. Mm -hmm. Exactly we're probably going to get to one of maybe my favorite parts of any episode. The ending question (laughs) is if you could meet and get advice from any author, who would it be and why? Oh, okay. Okay. It's a difficult one. How could you do this to me? I'm sorry. It's because I love you that I'm doing this to you. (laughs) I don't feel so sure about that. Okay, okay. Honestly, if I'm going to be honest, I'm going to say a poet, but that's because their work resonates with me on such... Hey, authors are poets too. Yeah, I mean, poets are authors too. What am I saying? Yeah, you're right. You're right. Probably Gabriel Calvo-Carassi. Honestly, their poetry drives me insane. Um just the way that they work with so many different inputs and outputs and they handle so so expertly like their book the last time I saw Amelia Earhart is one of the most resonating things I've read in a long period of time because it deals with different persona poetry aspects which is basically writing from a voice that isn't your own and it Mm -hmm. documents the experience whose voices are essentially kind of determined by the last time they saw Amelia Earhart before she flew off into the void Mm -hmm. and it basically talks about so many different things like broken dreams and losing people who you thought mattered to you chasing people only because they in pages of different persona poems that document fake characters experiences with Amelia Earhart which feels like such an out-of-pocket topic but the way that it's handled is so expert and so delicious that I just keep rereading that book. Balance those voices so expertly, so expertly. 
so mm-hmm. that I can kind of understand how to do that in my own work, poem or prose. Right. For me, this is also a very hard question mm-hmm. because I can answer this from a realistic fiction point of view, from, you know, a dystopian point of view, and then from like yeah, a reader slash, you know, person point of view. <laughs> and for me, just if I could have one, oh, why did I do this to myself? See, there you go. <laughs> I ask the hard questions here. And I guess for me, it would probably to encompass like all of what I want as a person and as a writer. I guess, should I break my own rules? I don't know if I should break my own rules. <laughs> I'm probably, because I have two. But the more that I probably would resonate with is John Green. If I could meet John Green and get his advice, or maybe even Hank Green, like the Green Brothers, I'd love to. I'd love to meet either of them. They seem like such a good and inspirational time. Like, for for what I want to accomplish as an author, both of them are, like, people I would love to have, you know, a three-hour conversation with. I know, like... Just because they just have such warm vibes. They do. It's amazing. If you guys would like to see their YouTube channel, which is really cool, I'm gonna kind of also slip that in the description of like, check this out, please. Well, but Chris, thank you for this discussion. Honestly. Of course, I valued this so much. Thank you for having me on. Of course, it honestly means a lot to know that my voice is being heard through other people's voices. And I think that's also something really important that needs to be shared. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. And I will talk with you later. All right. Thank you. Of course.